my friends, worthy friends, welcome, welcome to the Well Good Movies Podcast Halloween Special. A place to discuss and ponder the most blood-curdling movie magic with <laughs> some special guests. Time is not on our side, for the veil that separates the living and the dead is growing thin. We must make haste, my friends. Allow me to introduce you to your host, David Osgar. Hello and welcome to the Well Good Movies Halloween Special. This is the podcast that asks which of the movies well worth haunting and which deserve to be buried for all time. I'm your host, David Osgar, manically swinging a baseball bat as I'm pursued by my co-host. And that was just our last argument. Here's Craigie. Hello, Craig. <laughs> yeah, I should have, uh, should have uh, seen that coming. You, you got a lot more chilled out nature than uh, Jack Nicholson at the moment, which is good. Yeah, part of that is I'm just not in the same room as you. I probably would have swung for you. <laughs> Had circumstances been different? As usual, Craig, this is uh, Halloween, so we always say about uh, potentially a tumultuous time for you. How are you feeling, Uh, especially in the fact that this film is one that you've experienced quite recently as well? Well, we say quite recently. It was a year ago, but it has stayed with me ever since. Okay, wow. Wow, I didn't... That's that's a scary, like, how time has gone, because it does feel to me like you only talked to me about it a few, like, months ago. Yeah, what I would say is that when I... When I spoke to the friend that I watched this film with um, and said it was going to be the next episode, her reaction was, and I quote, Oh, nice. I still need to watch that film. Wait, what are you talking about? What do you mean? It's like, mate, we watched it like a year ago. Oh. Oh, well, that just says a lot, doesn't it? Well, the question of our podcast is, should it be remembered for all time? We won't just base it on that one experience. Hopefully we have a, a bit more memories to, to talk through than uh, than that one instance in this episode. Uh, but of course, we'll also be going through some facts. So Craig, you'll be taking the reins over on VHS Corner this week as well. Helping us over on the Movie Vault this week, we are joined by film aficionado and my fellow Monday Lorian. It's Niall Glynn. Hello, Niall. Hello. It's been a long time, guys. Thanks for having me back. No, of course. I know it's like uh, it's like Craig's watching of this film. I didn't realize how long it was until before the recording. You've had some interesting experiences with us in the past, talking about crazy Star Wars stuff, talking about James Bond, talking about a town called Panic, a very strange animated film. So, <laughs> yeah, an Endgame one day, did kind no, of give me a panic attack doing the speed <laughs> pitch. Well, one day, hopefully, you'll talk about something sensible i don't know whether that's something you'd prefer or you would kind of just cringe at i don't know <laughs> one day you'll get me on one of those horrible disney channel films we're so obsessed with how, how are you at halloween now i don't think we've uh, ever discussed like sort of like horror or halloween um all that much no it doesn't really it doesn't really cross paths with our star wars podcast as much as it should i guess it would recently if we were talking about the current series going on because there's witches and all that kind of stuff but... it's true that's true well, I uh, I love Halloween. I was a I'm a I'm a real late bloomer when it comes to horror. It wasn't until I was already like into my teens 
that I really got into it. Because when I was young, if a trailer for a horror movie came on, it would give me nightmares for months, and I'd never see the movie. But uh, there was a certain, I think it's good that we're kind of talking about Doctor Sleep, because The Shining was my transition point in terms of taste in that sense. So uh, now I love Halloween. Last Halloween, I um, I did, uh, I, re- I watched all the Halloween films of that series, and I did a Monday Lorian's episode about that for no particular reason. Which I don't know how that went down, but that was that was one for me. So yeah, I just love October as the season to just watch to focus on one genre of film because you don't get to do that any other time. Because I don't think like Christmas films is that even a genre. I kind of I struggle with that, and most Christmas movies I just cannot it, stand. It one hundred percent is a genre, as we discussed in April. But I don't know. <laughs> I guess horror is broadly. I guess horror isn't stuck to like a Halloween movie specifically. Yeah, it's more like they're more like summer, like a summer blockbuster. You know, it's yeah. a Christmas film in the type of film it is. Not so much like yeah, the actual well, you know, the storytelling conventions and stuff like that. But it's a bit more limited. It's Santa as opposed to like numerous kind of like supernatural creatures and stuff like that yeah well i think i think that could help christmas if it got a bit spookier i know there's a subgenre of that but i don't know how much of that is good <laughs> well possibly we'll be going through all of that very soon that happened a bit last year as well as we kind of cross paths with the different seasons we talked about nightmare before christmas in between you know halloween and christmas so that might start to take form as we now come out of october but yeah this is our halloween special so we'll keep focused on halloween and horror at the moment uh we're talking about all strange films and stuff there as well so how fitting that we have somebody who's the lead programmer at forbidden worlds film festival which takes place in bristol tessa williams hello tessa hello thank you for having me hello no problem hello. thank you for joining <laughs> us uh yeah so this has been uh, a long time in the making uh, obviously you've been very busy running things like festivals etc so for anybody who doesn't know can uh one introduce uh everyone to yourself maybe just the kind of vibe of films that you're into and also forbidden worlds film festival yeah so i i like a lot of films um but i do particularly like horror and thriller films um niall i'm just interested did you actually see halloween at the big screen last year forbidden worlds well, no, actually, which, which I'm really upset about. I actually only, to my shame, learned really learned about Forbidden Worlds this year. So oh, I went to okay. the, I went to the yeah. summer selection, and then like when oh. I saw the big screen on the website, I was so upset that I missed out on it. Last Halloween, we um, well, we had our main festival in May, and that was our first festival, um, and we show genre specific films um, and films that are sort of mostly in the eighties. Um, and that year we did 1982 only, so 40 years um, on from last year. Um, and then at Halloween, we did The Big Scream, which we're doing again in October. So it was just horror only. Um, and we did manage to show the original Halloween um, and had an intro from Jamie Lee Curtis, which was really amazing. Um, but yeah, we, we're doing The Big Scream again um, in October. So 13th, 14th of October, showing six classic popcorn horror films um so very excited about that uh yeah it's our fourth festival so um it's, it's going really well yeah we have kind of a very sort of um a laid-back film festival and everyone you know it's just a really welcoming environment and we have a great big screen which is the former imax um and it's a really good screen to see those films on um and films that are, you know are quite old enough to have not been seen on a screen that big so um yeah it's good and the, the video introductions, the the birth of people you get to introduce yes. the films, it just blew my mind. 
Well, we celebrate these films and we celebrate the people who made them. So that's why we try to get the introductions from the people who made them or were in them. Um, um, just people we really value from those films. Definitely do check out the Forbidden Worlds Festival website. Loads of cool stuff. And like I said, I was very jealous when I can go this year. We will be back in May for the main one. So in last episode, we were discussing opening night, the end game that saw David take on regular Stefanos in opening scene, ended in yet another defeat for David and another win for Stefano, which meant that they decided to choose their choice of film, which, given the connection of the obsession of youth, led us into the 2019 Doctor Sleep. So for those of you who are unaware of this uh, uh, sequel to uh, Stephen King's The Shining, this is the story of years after the events of The Shining, a now adult Dan Torrance must protect a young girl with similar powers from a cult known as the True Knot, who prey on children with powers to remain immortal. So this was directed, written and edited by Mike Flanagan, also known for uh, various projects such as Gerald's Game and Ouija, Origin of Evil. Ad- additional writing credit obviously goes to Stephen King, who wrote the, the novel sequel um, that the film was ultimately based on to some degree, with music by the Newton Brothers and cinematography by Michael Fimognari. In the cast ensemble, we have Ewan McGregor as Dan Torrance, Rebecca Ferguson as Rose the Hat, Kylie Curran as Abra Stone, Cliff Curtis as Billy Freeman, Zach McLaren as Crow Daddy, Emily Allen Lind as Snake by Andy, Selena Anduzi as Apron Annie, Robert Longstreet as Barry the Chunk, and Carol Strucken as Grandpa Flick. Introducing somebody with like Rosie the Hat just makes it sound like they actually are a hat when it's like said in that way, which is funny. <laughs> I, I mean, that's the reason I made sure to list the entirety of that group because just all of their names when you look at it like that are just a bizarre collection considering that we've been doing a lot of like, you know, traditional name, surname, name, surname. Just, I love all of, just all of those introductions. <laughs> exactly yeah and you and you wouldn't think exactly oh yeah like horror vibes from that but sounds kind of like amateur wrestlers especially barry the chunk yeah carry the chunk shout out and snake by andy yeah <laughs> always <laughs> makes me laugh we'll soon be deep diving into dr sleep from 2019 and eventually asking the question of whether it deserves the honor of a place in our movie vault our vault that encapsulates memorable movies for all time Worth mentioning that The Shining is already in there. Um, Actually, when we discussed films uh, that some people hate and some people love uh, in terms of contrasting opinions, and uh, that was one of the standouts uh, where I think our guest Joe uh, was talking about how he loved the book so it didn't strike him in the same chord. But we still acknowledge that it's a very famous uh, horror film which is very relevant today. Uh, So I think before talking about the film of Dr. Sleep, it is worth mentioning that legacy of The Shining, especially because it plays such a part, not just on the horror genre and Hollywood in general, pop culture, uh, film fans, but also 
this film you know even having like you know clips from it and obviously a lot of the you know the visual elements of it uh so now that's uh really where you'll be uh playing your part today uh in terms of being you know quite a, a big kubrick fan I'm, i guess is right in saying and does that also mean then a big shining fan because i know you saw 2001 a few weeks ago at the cinema uh, would you just as eagerly go and watch The Shining, do you think? As a, as a white guy who went to film school, I love Stanley Kubrick. As is the old cliche, but uh, <laughs> I, but I genuinely do. And as you said, uh, 2001, I went to see it a few weeks ago, and it is my favourite film ever made. And The Shining is probably my favourite horror film. That or the original Halloween, I would say. It was the one I think I said earlier. It kind of got me into horror, which was a genre I was ironically very scared of going into. And um, I know a lot of people who watch it now don't find it scary, but it got me the first time I saw it. And every time I see it, it still invokes a lot of the same feelings, but it is still kind of a comfort film because I know it so well. And I, I have gone to see it re-released a few times in the cinema, including, I think I think I mentioned this to you before, Dave, I was at the Cannes Film Festival a few years ago, pre-pandemic, and that's where they premiered the 4K restoration that you can now buy on 4K UHD. And that was introduced by Alfonso Cuaron and uh, Kubrick's daughter and AD. It's just an incredible experience because that was also the first time I'd seen. What I, I think isn't talked about a lot is there's two cuts of this movie, The Shining, I should say. There's also two cuts of Doctor Sleep. But um, there's the American cut, which I think is like maybe 10 minutes longer. And it's just some very like minor but very cool, like haunting shots. Like there's a, a skeleton party which sounds ridiculous when I say it out loud, but it's amazing stuff that I'd only previously seen printed in books. So when I, all these new scenes were coming up, I was having this very weird fake deja vu of, wait a second, this isn't in a movie, but also it is. Um, so yeah, no, I absolutely love The Shining, and me and Joe would have probably come to blows if we were on that episode, because I love <laughs> The Shining, the movie, and I hate the book, which I read after the fact. I, um, I think Stephen King's great, I, I love his ideas, but I actually don't like a lot of what he's written. I my my Stephen King stuff I like is more how his work is adapted. Okay, might be a hot take, but he's written so much it's hard to say. And I guess you can, you know, through that assessment, acknowledge that there is often quite a big difference between his books and his adaptations. With the Kubrick Shining film being one of the most famous, I guess. Yeah, because I think. For, for the context of when it was made but the film he made before the shining was barry linden which is a very well regarded very beautifully made period drama that uh had, had big stars in but made almost no money no not that bad but it did very poorly for a kubrick film especially after a clockwork orange which even though it was banned still did really well banned in the uk um so i it feels like it was almost a conscious decision that he would have made at the time to like find quite a popular novel to adapt as well as getting to like expand into a genre more people enjoyed. And uh, what's interesting at the time as well is, although you've got some great standouts in the horror genre, I think, to be honest, I think there still is like a weird, like mainstream looking down on horror a bit, even though there are some like incredibly, incredible artistic achievements in it. I think some people do view it as a trashy genre. And this, I think The Shining, you could consider the first like, Maybe, well, maybe the first mainstream, like, psychological horror, the slow burn that we're kind of used to now, especially at the length. The film's, like, two and a half hours long, which for a horror film is still very weird. So, um, so it naturally, 
because it, it 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 was the first of all these things it got very bad reviews when it came out it was a a heavily disliked film which is very strange to look back on now and see like the the, the horrible golden raspberry awards nominating stanley kubrick which i'm i'm sure they they're ashamed of in their certain way but can i ask a question oh yeah so you said the shining didn't follow the book as much because I had heard that lots of people actually preferred Doctor Sleep because it followed the book more than The Shining. Is that right? Do you think? Yeah, it it definitely does. Well, what's what's very interesting about that is, of course, Stephen King hated Kubrick's Shining film. So mm. when when it was coming up to them making Doctor Sleep, it's like Stephen King because he wanted this book to be made, but he I think he had to acknowledge that the version of The Shining everyone knows is the film. So what's really interesting about Dr. Sleep on that level is it's him kind of reconciling his story with the Kubrick story and like maybe letting go. I think I think it this might be me completely projecting, but it feels like Dr. Sleep might have been therapeutic for him to have this novel that is very personal to him because it is about in the novel. Jack Torrance is more of a sympathetic character the way he's written. He's meant to be like a man pushed to the brink, whereas I think Kubrick actually stuck to his guns and said, no, Jack Torrance is a horrible, like, narcissistic abuser. And that's something that I really like about the movie more, mm. is I think it actually treats it more seriously than the book, which is a bit of a, oh, well, sometimes he's abusive, but it's because it's the drink makes him bad. And they do touch on that in Doctor Sleep, of course. Yeah. So that that's a good lead on um, for his character in Doctor Sleep. Yeah. And, of, and of course... <laughs> The funny, well, I think the funniest difference, and it was a bit of a oh wow moment for me when I saw Doctor Sleep in cinema, is the Shining book is very over the top, and that's why I wasn't didn't connect to it as much because it even ends with the hotel blowing up at the end. It ends like a Star Wars film, whereas uh, in Doctor Sleep they managed to bring that back and actually make it, I think, a much more meaningful and emotional moment. Oh yes, so I, it's really it's a sad ending. It's emotional and more sort of realistic. Hmm. Not, yeah. not, so, not so Star Warsy. Yeah. And that's something I think is great about Dr. Sleep because it's Mike Flanagan's much more, he, he takes it, he tackles the emotional stuff much more than Kubrick, who who is a famously like more cold and distanced in his style. But when you watch Dr. Sleep, it kind of makes The Shining feel like this is how Jack Torrance remembers it. He remembers it as like this pure horror film. So the Dr. Sleep feels like, re- again, reconciling with the real world, like what is outside of the Overlook? Because The Shining is so singular in its location. But I think Doctor Sleep expands the world amazingly. I'm not sure how I feel about a lot of the Stephen King-isms of the, the psychic vampires. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I think it does it as, as well as it possibly could. And um, I've never read the novel Doctor Sleep, but I have been meaning to. Well, I guess the thing about the, the adaptation aspect of it is there's so often those kind of like conversations about like, oh, well, the book is better. And it you know largely comes from just the fact that it is you know, going to take more of your time. There's more to digest. You know, it's like a, a TV series as opposed to a film that there's more time to spend with those characters. Uh, it's just a completely different experience in many ways. But you look at something like Lord of the Rings, you know, it's, they're just taking chunks out of it or, you know, a lot of the vibes or a lot of the order of things are, are altered. Whereas I guess with Stephen King's Shining, there's an example, again, is it kind of like Kubrick kind of going, well, this is how I want to tell this story. And, you know, then that might be very tricky territory into what somebody wants to do with a property, which somebody else might have a creative hold over, especially when it's 
that writer is still alive, etc., which, you know, Tolkien, etc., isn't in the case of Lord of the Rings. So do you think, Niall, that there's an element then, as you were saying, that Kubrick wanted to get to a famous novel, but wanted to ultimately make the movie he wanted to make? Or is it just that, like you said, he had maybe a bit more of a different reading as to the writer's did? Well, it feels like, because most, most of Kubrick's books are all adapted from uh, Kubrick's films, I should say, are adapted from books that were famous at one point or another. But it always feels like he never went into it thinking, wow, this book deserves to be like a film. He said like, oh, this would be a great blueprint for me to make a Stanley Kubrick film from it, which I think is the best way to approach it. Because as you said, I hate I hate it when people compare like books to film because it's, it's already about better. They're two different mediums. And I, I think the translation is more interesting than any kind of argument about it. But uh, he always tackled them in a much more, in a way that suited his sensibilities more than trying to say, show the, what the book's theme is. I know he worked with like Anthony Burgess on Clockwork Orange, so that one is pretty accurate. But again, the ending change is controversial. But what's interesting is there's a story Stephen King told, because even though he didn't like the film, he always talks really highly of working with Stanley Kubrick on working on the screenplay. It sounds like they really got along, but they just didn't agree on anything which is a good way to be with friends, I suppose. It's like the Craig-Dave dynamic, if you ever wanted to adapt The Shining. Well, so what you're saying is Stephen King is just there on the side, just yelling at Kubrick and Kubrick's just ignoring him. <laughs> Potentially. But um, but there's a famous story, well, I say famous, but Stephen King told about, he used to get these very late night phone calls from Stanley Kubrick because they lived in different time zones and Kubrick would just call him at some ungodly hour and keep him on the phone for hours. It's, you know what, those people you just can't hang up on because they just keep going. But he got very into this conversation. He was like, oh, Steve, you know, I think The Shining is a really optimistic story. Stephen King is like, what do you mean? He says, oh, well, it's about it's about life after death. He says, I, I find it very reassuring. And Stephen King, when he wrote it, it's like, ghosts are scary. And I think and that's how Kubrick adapted it. But I just found it interesting that he had a bit more thought into what that means. And I think that's something that really comes across in Doctor Sleep is there's a theme of, uh, like people living on after death, you know, some very beautiful things in there taken from, extracted from the horror of The Shining. And lastly, with The Shining, why do you think that there is such that big cultural influence about it? Is it just, you know, like you already said about like the fact that it was critically not well received, but then that, that also makes me think of something like Blade Runner as well, which, you know, still stood the test of time in terms of like making that impact. I guess, it, you know, a lot of it is those kind of like the uniqueness of it, of it being, a, you know, a longer form horror and having maybe a bit more to say, having such, you know, impactful performances, which then the behind the scenes in some ways could also be as big a story as, as the film itself. But it's things like, you know, the carpet and the bathroom scene and the bar, all of that becomes very, you know, recognizable and embedded in pop culture. So I guess that's just a lot of kubrick work in general i guess you know as as part of playing that but is there any reasoning you you can see as well niall that's specific to the shining well it's, it's just funny that you mentioned blade runner day because the, the two of them actually share some backstory because at the time um uh ridley scott was making blade runner he was being forced to like put in a happy ending which they didn't have footage for. So he asked Stanley Kubrick for some like extra B-roll of the car going through the mountains at the start. And Kubrick said, yeah, he was like, use what you want, just make sure it's not the same footage from my movie. So I always think it's just really funny that the happy ending of Blade Runner is the start of one of the most famous horror films of all time. 
I just love the idea as well as of like if he accidentally left the music in or something like the end of Blade Runner was like and everyone's like Whoa, what's happening like transfers into like that film or something be, it's just a single frame a... of text that says starring Shelley Duvall and then it <laughs> yeah the that's uh, yeah but it does remind me as well like Doctor Sleep is that kind of like this resurgence of you know we've had it this year with indiana jones etc is this idea of like you know properties from the 80s which are then being remade revisited doctor sleep is very much like that like blade runner did with 2049 in terms of like taking harrison ford and i was thinking that during doctor sleep i was like how weird would this be if like jack nicholson was in it and would that have dampened the film in any way um or altered it and you know i guess again some people's reactions to the film might depend on how how tied it is to the movie or how tied it is to the story maybe depending on how how much you like the original book or the original text etc but before you go Niall uh what what is your just memories of Dr. Sleep or your your general thoughts from from what you can remember when you saw it in the cinema it's just funny that you mentioned sorry that about Jack Nicholson because I think they actually did ask him originally would he be interested uh, in doing okay. a cameo? Yeah, I was thinking that. But he's he's well retired. His big thing is eating chili at basketball games now because he's just awesome. But um, I I do I do think that's a great strength of Doctor Sleep. We both know Star Wars fans is that they just recast these people. Mm. They're not dragging <laughs> these people back. <laughs> do you think they would have? Do you think they would have de-aged him if he'd been in uh, Doctor Sleep? <laughs> they they could have probably played it either way. They could probably could have done the thing like, oh, his his ghost has aged because he's been there so long. <laughs> but I, I think they they did the right thing, just recasting these people. And yeah. I think most of them are really great, especially They're like awesome. Carol Lumley. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I went to see Doctor Sleep. It was the first Halloween. I, I just moved back to the UK after living in Ireland for a long time. And it's one of those awkward things. I'd only known people in the country for a few months. So I asked a friend in uni to go to the cinema with me on the on Halloween night. So this was like a, a proper Halloween watch because we didn't have a party to go to. We had no reason to dress up. So I was like, well, Doctor Sleep's like two hours and 40 minutes. So that's a pretty good way to spend the night. And I, I was kind of, I was excited, but very worried because I'm... These movies do mean a lot to me, like uh, maybe controversially, like I'm not a big Blade Runner 2 guy. I, I don't mind it, but Blade Runner is so special to me, for example. And 2001 is my favorite film, but I do kind of like the sequel. No one talks about 2010. So it's always touch and go with these things, especially because this story just seemed a bit more batshit with all these vampires and such. But no, let's see it. Had a lovely experience at a, a View cinema, which I never go to now, but I, I've always liked a View Weird shout out for the view there, but um, yeah, really. really. <laughs> you talking about the Whoopi Goldberg show? <laughs> <laughs> Always. That's where I saw Doctor Sleep. You were on on set or with the panel watching <laughs> it with uh, with the gals. Sounds like a good experience. But yeah, no, I re- really enjoyed Doctor Sleep. Like I do view it. I don't view it as like a pure sequel to The Shining because I don't think you ever can make a real sequel to something that iconic, especially from like one of the most famous directors ever. But for what it is, like just managing to be like a a film that's good as a sequel to that and an adaptation of a book that are very different things i think it's it's quite incredible and i i really do like mike flanagan but i do wish that he could get back out of like tv jail and i know i know a lot of his shows are great but i miss his movies i love his movies i like not having to spend like 10 hours in the in these things i'd rather just spend like three max and Gerald's game was a, a very memorable screening at home with my friend. Very uncomfortable. Well, uh, yeah. Well, thanks for giving us that last minute uh, Kubrick knowledge and shining knowledge there. Now is 
very much appreciated. And uh, yeah, really set us up well, I think, for getting us up to speed in which, yeah, the area in which Dr. Sleep was released in and what's in people's minds, like yourself, whether you're Kubrick fans, whether you're Shining fans, whether you're fans of the book, etc. Um, yeah, we've established all of that quite well. Um, so thank you for joining us on this Halloween special. It's a bit like you're a trick-or-treater or something, especially with that orange background you got on there. Quickly, before you leave, what would you say movie vault-wise is it? Would you say yes or no to Doctor Sleep? It's an interesting one because it, it feels difficult because you've told me The Shining's in there. And like, well, for me personally, like I, I think Doctor Sleep's great, but The Shining is one of my all-time faves. And I always struggle with this. It's like, do I view them on an equal enough level? And I'm going to go yes, because I think it's, it's my favorite thing I've watched that Mike Flanagan's done. It's kind of actually it's kind of tied with Midnight Mass, which I think is incredible. But we're not talking TV, we're talking movies. And as the Mike Flanagan joint, I have to, yeah, movie vault it. Cool. Well, we'll uh, we'll let you know the decision on that one later on. <laughs> we'll text you. Uh, but yeah, thank you, Nile, for joining us, and uh, we'll see you soon. Tessa, over to you now in terms of your experiences with Dr. Sleep, whether you want to pepper in any sort of experience with The Shining. I think uh, before recording, you were saying that you're more of a Dr. Sleep person than a Shining person, but I'm guessing you had seen the original movie beforehand, etc. Or, or what What are your, your experiences with both these films? Well, when I was growing up, I always, um, well, as a teenager, I loved horror films. Um, and The Shining was one film that I watched um, growing up. And I suppose... When you're 14, 15, it's, it's quite a slow film, quite a slow horror film. But I knew how, you know, how popular it was and how well received it was. And I did like it, um, but it was never one of my favourites. Now I, now I watch it and I love it. And, you know, I think it's fantastic. And I've seen it in the cinema a couple of times. A couple of years ago, I saw it at the Prince Charles Cinema on a Halloween all-nighter. And it was the um, the second film and it was great. Um only that was only after I'd watched Doctor Sleep when it came out in 2019 um, around Halloween, um, and I was just blown away by Doctor Sleep. I thought it was a really good horror film, and as Niall had said, you know Mike Flanagan is such a good, such a good writer and director, filmmaker, TV maker, and his his feelings really come through, and you can tell that he's a huge fan of The Shining in Doctor Sleep, um, and that made me want to revisit The Shining. So. Now I'm kind of almost, now I almost love The Shining as much as Dr. Sleep, but Dr. Sleep kind of brought that back for me. Um, so I think that's really good to have such a such a good sequel that makes people want to revisit the original. Yeah, because I guess for me, I was like, when this was chosen as the film in the last episode, I was like, ooh, do I rewatch The Shining in preparation for it or not? Because um, obviously I knew it had so much influence on the story, but then I was like, I don't want to kind of taint my vision of, uh, Doctor Sleep in the sense of like, oh, well, that's not as good as this or, yeah. you know, anything like that. I just, so, yeah, I, re um, I rewatched having... Doctor Sleep earlier, but I actually actually rewatched the um, theatrical cut because the cut I always watch is the director's cut since the cinema. Um, the director's cut is only about half an hour longer, but there's something very special about the director's cut and it's, um, it's split into six chapters. Uh, and and I, I always love a film that's split into chapters and and it has really good title screens for each of the chapters as well um but i thought i'd, I'd check out the theatrical cut because obviously most people have seen that one um and it it's it's still excellent too and i did want to fit in the shining as well but it's hard to watch them both because they're quite long i've had friends who 
real fans of The Shining. And when they saw Doctor Sleep in the cinema in 2019, you know, that I mean, it's quite emotional anyway, but they were kind of like, because they, they, they knew The Shining so much and bonded with it and, and um, Danny's story, you know, they, they were so emotional at the end of Doctor Sleep um, because it, obviously The Shining came out in 1980. Um, it's almost 40 years later to know those characters um, and the new cast play those characters so well. I, I'm i not a huge fan of Ewan McGregor and I always forget that he's playing him because he's so good in that role. Um, he, he is a good actor. Um, and the cast are just amazing in Doctor Sleep. I think all of them just, yeah, they just play their part so well. Uh, Rebecca Ferguson is is really scary as Rose the Hat. Um, and the the crow, uh, but, but they're not like obviously scary or, or like Michael Myers scary, but they're very kind of quietly scary. It's it's very good, very well done. Yeah, it's like Niall was saying about, you know, like, psychic vampires is something that you know if you had got the cast a bit wrong or they brought a different kind of performance to it it could have easily become a very different film so i think that that is credit a lot to the actors and possibly the direction there as well craig when you uh, when you saw dr sleep what were you going in thinking because you said that this was like a year ago or so now and apart from your friend's reaction of like not remembering it very well um this did stick with you quite a bit especially in some of the scenes yeah, so I mean, I should probably give grounding to this. So I think long-term listeners of the show will know that horror is something... I'm not going to have the sort of snobby appeal and just say, like, no horror films can be good. No horror films will ever be part of my, you know, the things I enjoy. Um, I definitely think there are horror films out there that I have a great deal of respect for. Um, the Shining is is an example of that. I Granted, I've only seen it once. and I didn't see it when I was relatively young i think i saw it probably about probably close to like six to eight years ago that sort of thing um but i i respected it and i think a lot of, a lot of what it wanted to do i thought was i thought it was performed uh performed and executed quite well um but it just wasn't the sort of thing that i was just gonna actively go out and rewatch and you know try and ingratiate myself in so uh, when it came to Doctor Sleep on initial release, uh, I I wasn't interested. The only reason I ended up watching it is because I have a I have a friend that I watch like a random film like once or twice a week sort of thing, um, and she put on Doctor Sleep because she wanted to see it. Um, so but I I did watch it, and it's a horror film, and the things that stuck with me are the things that horror films try to do. Like, so I'm not going to hold it against the film. The, the TLDR, and I've made jokes about this in the past, but genuinely, uh, there is one scene of the film that I think is actually, has actually scarred me quite a bit. Uh, anyone who's seen the film will know what scene it is. Um, I think for a, for a horror film that has a lot of, you know, fantastical elements, you know, um, psychic vampires looking for immortality and, you know, revisiting um, uh, the hotel and everything that happens there, the scene that probably depicts the most real sort of violence and gore is the scene that just really got to me on like an emotional level and it's i i think about it every now and then and it still makes me still makes me shudder um so on those grounds obviously incredibly effective fil- uh thing for what it's trying to do 
obviously has created an aversion for me to want to go back and watch it because I don't seek out horror films because I try to avoid those kinds of emotions. So the fact that a film has created them very, very well um, terrifies me. What is the scene? <laughs> oh, no, I didn't know if we were going to build to it, but I I would have thought it'd be obvious by this point. Uh, it's the child murder scene. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah. Jacob Tremblay. Poor little yeah. Jacob Tremblay. Like the like the the screaming and just the continual stabbing, it genuinely genuinely hurt. And that and then obviously, then just the effect uh, the additional effects of like his life force coming out and all of them just scurrying around. This genuinely like horrific. It's interesting um, you say that because earlier on, on when I was rewatching it, um, I was kind of like looking away at that scene because I yeah. knew it was coming and it's so horrendous. And I think when early when the reviews came out for it, when it first came out, I remember some people like, you know, if I do watch a review or read something, it is because it's a film which I may be on the fence. So I'm like, oh, I might not see this for a while. So I maybe checked out a few reviews of Doctor Sleep when it originally came out, but never go into like spoilers or anything. But the one I did see said, you know, oh, be warned, this is quite disturbing at some point. Yeah, that's the thing. I had literally no bearing, uh, had no bearing or warning for this, right? Because this, correct me if I'm wrong, but in the original Shining, there's, uh, like any of the adaptations, whether that be the Kubrick film or whether that be the failed attempt of a TV series in 1997, there's just nothing like that scene. Yeah, they don't that. torture any kids. Yeah, there's, but and even like the attempts uh, of like uh, the attempts to murder the family, just nothing ever gets to the realms where it's just that visceral. So I had like no, so it literally did just take me take me by surprise yeah and i think that's mike flanagan for you because he really makes you care for characters so quickly you you do care for that little boy um and even and there's a scene towards the end you know whether slip whether true not are being um you know i don't know if it's a spoiler but they're being you know wiped out yeah by all means we'll discuss spoilers so the, the friend he makes his best friend who you know is helping him and then the the newest member the newest member to the true not before she gets killed she says kill yourself because she can make people do what 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 she wants them to do and he kills himself and i find that scene like almost as bad as the jacob tremblay scene mm. it's just really it's visceral and horrible and mean i think it's so i think it's interesting that that scene specifically i think you credit to like uh flanagan's ability as a director to make you care for characters because i think to an extent it's true but i also think a lot of it is just because of like a lot of social sensibilities and what we're sort of as a society raised to care about which is just the overall preservation of children so so like i think i just saw i think i saw it just more as that and i think just because I wasn't sure in what way, because obviously there have been lots of films in the past that have had like, you know, the entire uh, stealing the life force from children, right? I mean, like one of my one of my favorite films for Halloween is Hocus Pocus. And that obviously starts with like child murder, but not to the same extent. It just felt like, you know, sucking the life force. Like I can get on board with that. Actually stabbing the child and just hearing the screams is just like, oh, why, why am I, why am I here? It reminded me a bit of, changeling the angelina jolie film um in which that oh, that's horrible as well yeah you know it's an unpleasant scenario that's happening and again it's like you know this creepy man and it's a real scenario it's happened in real life it's a true story you know and when he's there and he's just like i wouldn't hurt your boy i wouldn't do it you know i wouldn't have done that but when he like flashes back to like potentially what's happened to him and these other kids you know it is like craig said it is just this you know you've got to protect children and to see something like that is just 
really like harrowing. Um, and especially, I think, in this case, because he's played, as you said, Tessa, by Jacob Tremblay. So mm-hmm. do you know who, why this kid is famous, Craig? I know the name, but I can't remember what for. You, you'll definitely know who it is. Um, he's the kid from Room. So now that also makes sense as to why it's such an emotional performance. I think if it, I can't say any other kid, but I think the fact that he is playing that role helps because he's such a good actor as well. I mean, that's a horrific headcanon for me now because I'm just like, Jesus, why did you let him out of the room? Turns out he was much better in there. Well, he escaped from the room and then he got into something worse. Oh, no. Especially after he like was the one that rescued his mum. We don't want to think about that. But I think you're right, Tessa. I think the the what later the scene later on, I think I was thinking the same thing. Watching it is the, like, the ability to connect to these characters is done so effectively. Um, the fact that you do feel sad and you feel horrible when the, the friend like shoots himself. Um, and it, it's those effective villains and moments in which she like, you know, makes you hate those characters. Like, you know, screw you. How dare you? You know, like when she says, you know, kill yourself. Yeah, that was Snake by Andy, of course. I remember her name now. Yeah. Interesting from the point of view of it being a Shining sequel, because again, there it is very much, you know, look at the original film. It's got elements of that kind of like, you know, let's get enveloped in the craziness of it. And, you know, it's obviously very horrifying and scary when, you know, Jack's gone crazy. Um, but here it's again more of a, a realistic kind of like approach to death rather than like, you know, it's ghosts and people are being haunted, which the film then goes to later later on, which is probably like, so this being my first experience with Dr. Sleep going into it, I was kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm either not going to be like as affected by it because I don't have as much of a connection to The Shining. Uh, I watched it also as like a teenager and, you know, could appreciate it uh, the same way you guys did for you know it's visuals etc but again whether it's my sort of connection to horror um or just the type of film it is it wasn't something that i resonated or connected to as much and i guess the more often than not i'm like i want something that is like making a commentary on something positive rather than something like dark or or horrific and i think a lot of these hor- uh, great horror films even or these dark films you know they're, they're they there's so much build up then that so much hinders on the last act so I didn't know then if it would just be very like creepy vibes, very so- supernatural, or if it would be very heavily reliant on The Shining. And it's kind of a bit of both. So I suppose that, you know, the first half of the film I found really engaging and I found the setup of those villains really engaging. But I didn't connect as much to the second half, I've got to say. I think that to me, I, th- I that's why I'd be interested watching the director's cut, as you said, Tessa, to see if I had a different experience. But for me, the last half, I, I felt that the film was really like at its best when the villains go after Abra and they're in the forest and you have that horrible scene in which the you know, friend gets, you know, shoots himself, etc. I didn't feel so much that it needed to end there, but I felt that the film was sort of starting to wrap up that story. And I felt that the the hotel stuff, even though Danny's like relationship to the hotel and his powers and his sort of hang-ups have very much been set up at that point i think because we then focus so much on abra for the majority of the film i was like okay well all of that was set up to be like this is why you this is the guy you need to have help you and be your support unit but i didn't see it so i didn't necessarily then think they'll be like oh, and now we're going to go back to his hangups. Do you know what I mean? And I felt that it kind of like changed course a bit between, you know, I thought it was a good, you know, the ending, for example, is a good way of marrying those together. But yeah, I felt that it did diverge quite a bit for me and it then became more of a nostalgia fest. I do have a question about this specifically because we've already mentioned that 
So, Tessa, you said you've read Doctor Sleep, right? No, I haven't read it, no. Oh, cool. In that case, this is not going to be answered. Um, because um, one thing that we'll discuss later, um, I, I think it's important. I, I don't usually bring up like facts that I would use in VHS Corner now, but I think it's actually important for this discussion. Um, but it was mentioned earlier by Niall that in The Shining, the hotel itself blows up, right? That's the novelization, which means that the novelization, presumably, of Doctor Sleep is that the hotel is not there. But obviously, it was never destroyed in the film, so it obviously exists in the film, which means it could be used upon. I'm just curious as to what the actual ending of the novel Doctor Sleep looks like, because um, I'm alluding to it, but the TLDR is, it is not going to be the same as the book. Uh, so that's why I'm genuinely intrigued as to what happened in that uh, in that novel, because I agree with David. I think that when it, when it goes back to the o- Overview Hotel, yeah? Is that wrong? Or overlook? Yeah, the overlook. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was trying to Google what happened at the end of Dr. Sleep. Uh, okay. I'm doing the same thing. I was like, yeah, what is this? <laughs> yeah, when it gets back when it gets back to there, uh, and I think because of so much of uh what Flanagan tries to do, um, it just becomes it just becomes the uh now to sell everyone with the premise of the of the finale, we are gonna link it back to the uh link it back to the shining, which to some extent, loses a bit of the film's power for me. Um, but also, to a certain degree, the fact that like a lot amount of the the way in which like the True Knot are just dealt with are just like shotgun snipers in a forest. And I was like, this is a cool scene. But for like a group that's been bigged up as a, a massive existential threat to people with disability, seems like a really, really mundane way of kind of dealing with them. And I think that's why they wanted to go uh, to the hotel for the, like, the sort of massive what the hell is going on sort of finale. Um, interesting. Can I just interrupt for a second? It's interesting that you say that because my one of my friends um, was never a huge fan of Dr. Sleep, uh, as me and another friend were. And he always said it was just that scene in the, in the woods where suddenly they all want it, like Rambo, and which you see with like excellent with a shotgun and like yeah. getting people straight away it didn't really make any sense with the whole film <laughs> oh no i think it makes sense i just think it i just think it's like a relatively basic way it's it, in the same way that say like uh i don't know pick any random horror film and just the answer is just get the glocks out i think it's kind of like you know they just don't want to go kind of superhero with it or harry potter <laughs> they don't want to be there like using powers and stuff isn't it so then yeah it is but the just film start, is like, about powers it's the it's yeah, an entire yeah. film about people with psychic powers and you don't use them seeing their psychic powers to fight yeah it's just like <laughs> yeah i just it, hope well, you get a shot on them interestingly craig so the ending of the um book is that uh, following another kidnapping attempt that Abra falls with Dan's telepathic abil- uh, help, she baits Rose into confronting her at the location where the Overlook Hotel once stood. So it's not too different in that sense. Quite um, says now okay. home to a campsite owned by the True Knot. Dan and Billy travel to the site where Abra helps them using her astral projection. Um, and what I think is interesting here as well, reading it, is something that I felt was that I didn't feel that there was as much menace or threat to just uh, rose because you've already seen that she's been like 
beaten by Abra so many times. I didn't feel that she was this big force, like, oh my God, you know, like when you see in so many other horror films or any type of movie in which this villain and this force is coming, you're like, oh my God, how am I going to beat them? Or like, they are done for, they're going to really struggle. I just always felt like, yeah, they got this, you know, like they've got, you know, Dan and Abra. I didn't really see what she could bring because one, her power set, what we had seen, didn't seem that that would give her all that much of an advantage. Yes, she did sort of take in all of the um, steam uh, when before she left. But again, we didn't really see all that much how that kind of helped her out. But here, I thought it was unfortunate that they did kill off all the um, members of her gang. And I think in the book from what I'm reading here, it says that uh, the steam collected from Conchita to the remaining group of True Not members, killing all of them. So it seems like more of them were still alive at that stage. And then he used the ghosts of um, the Overlook to uh, kill off some of the other ones. And then apparently the ghost of Dan's father, Jack Terrance, uh, is used to push Rose off of an observation platform. Um, so, you know, a bit of symbolism with his father and stuff there so yeah there definitely is some some differences etc going on but um, does um does daddy yeah, I, still die does the book uh does it say no yeah yeah it says that he's called back to his hospice where he confronts a dying colleague who had antagonized him in the past so and he's celebrating 15 years of sobriety cool that is what that is a plus i will then give to the film because i think if we are going to be talking about like the finality of you know coming to coming to terms uh, with everything that's happened to you, uh, I think it is actually symbolic that this story ends with both the ending of like the entirety of the castle of the Shining and the hotel itself. So I'll give it I'll give it credit there, and also the fact that he then becomes like essentially a spirit guide for Abra, just talking talking to her still from the other side. That is that is quite effective. It is a good ending. Um, I 100% agree with that. In the same way that he had his kind of like what he called imaginary friend and stuff like that. I thought that that was a nice passing of the torch kind of thing is that he's become then that person to help her. Cause originally I was a bit like, well, you know, did you have to stay in there? You know, it's that kind of thing. Like go on, I'll hold the door kind of moment. And you're like, well, you know, could, you know, could you have got out, etc." But I think then I was convinced by it, by the end of that film. Um, and it also goes with the yeah, whole yes. thing of him talking, you know, to the people he was, you know, sending off in the care home in the hospice where he says, you know, you know it's true restful sleep and you know with that character you just want him to rest now he's gone through so much torment yeah. and, you know, de- death is sad but also a time for him to rest i mean it's ironic it just makes me think of like uh one of the last quotes in like the entire series of uh bojack horseman it definitely feels like uh the film of dr sleep is just the summation of life's a bitch then you die Whereas, and then just the novel is life's a bitch and then you keep living. It feels like that would just be the thing that would happen. It's just, you carry on. I guess it's nice in the sense of, you know, Abra saying about like her dad, like to her mum to give her comfort in that way. 
And I think one of the characters in the care home, you know, saying like, oh, I don't believe in hell and this kind of thing. And it is maybe like you think of like, well, is it that these horrible people, you know, like the True Knock gang, would it be that there's nothing for them afterwards? And maybe the good people are the ones who more sort of stick around to see their loved ones or or that kind of thing. You know, it reminds me almost of like Coco in a way. And, you know, like how do you approach like the afterlife mm-hmm. and what is the like rules and the groundwork of how it works in this world? I think it's interesting how they use Danny. And I think that's where at the end I was kind of like still in the confrontation anyway. You know, having him go to that location and using his ghosts and trauma and using the box and everything like that. I think it does work. I think it's just, again, I just felt that like it would have been better if more people there, which were more of a threat rather than just Rose. Um, I feel like that whole that whole overlook sequence though in, in that act, that final act, is for the core fans of The Shining. That, I think that's yeah, basically exactly, that yeah. whole reason for that scene. Yeah, just like the random, like she just walks into a corridor, sees the blood in the corridor and then just walks away again. I was like, okay, <laughs> like that was just for her to see it, you know. Again, credit to Mike Flanagan for not turning it into just kind of like, oh, wasn't The Shining great? And I think that that's why I do prefer the first half of the film, because I like how it's kind of not saying this is a sequel. And maybe the people who enjoy the book could watch the film and kind of still go and headcanon. Oh, well, that, you know, they're just acknowledging that that's happened within the timeline of this film. But then by the end of it, I, I assume those people are disappointed when it's literally Jack Nicholson shots and, you know, like moments from the movie are in there and they say no this is canon with this do you know what well, exactly, i mean so i think because really you could go and see dr sleep without having seen the shining and it would make yeah. sense um until that final mm. act i suppose yeah and there's still enough like reference i think before that final act to kind of like even just the music you know there's moments in which it's referencing that music or there's visuals in which they're using like aerial shots i prefer that kind of like subtle approach mm. instead of the kind of like owners oh, actually like you know have this you know, woman in the bath and, you know, the, the twins and all that kind of stuff. Um, th- does the ending work as well? You know, apart from just the actual very end moment, does that final act work as well for you, Tessa? Or are you a bigger fan of the first half? Or I do love, you know, the beginning of that final chapter when you look over the mountain and the music from The Shining comes in and, and you know where they're going. Um, you know, as someone who now quite likes The Shining quite a lot, um, but like you say, I do prefer the, the first two thirds, um, the introduction to the true knots. They're a great horror crowd. I'm so used to the director's cut now as well, because it, it's split into these six chapters as well. So when they go to the overlook um, in the director's cut, so when it looks over the mountain, it comes up chapter six. Um, and, that, and that's great. And you know that that's the end. Um, but um, yeah, I do prefer the whole true nut things and um abra as well abra is a great um protagonist um and she really holds her own against rose the hat she's fantastic and i love that whole like back and forth and and between those two um and they're both great and those i think rose the hat and abra make the film even though obviously dan danny um is having his journey for me it's it's more about rose the hat and abra um, so it could could kind of be more of them in the, in the third act, but then it, it's very much Danny in the in the final act. So, um, but yeah, I think I, I I agree with you that the the beginning acts are better, but that kind of that the, the final bit is like I said more for fans of The Shining, and I I feel like Mike Flanagan is obviously a big fan of The Shining, 
as well because <laughs> especially with all his little tidbits and and everything in the film you can see that he's a fan of the shining and alex esso who plays wendy torrance you know is little danny's mum she looks exactly like wendy torrance from the shining it's amazing mm. like we were saying about cgi earlier it's like it's amazing that they recast people who just mm just envision it's just amazing it was a lovely scene like when they were uh singing um was it come fly with me when you know like the cat was there and that man was like yeah. passing away and he was saying you know he could remember the blueberries <laughs> and stuff you know the, the stuff with like the aa meeting stuff that was great um the actor you know he's always you know really good i always remember him from uh the newer star trek films Cliff, Cliff Curtis. yes yeah yeah like when he's helping with like the coin and stuff like that and then seeing the relationship between him and abra how they set it up i thought that that was done very well sometimes stuff like that can seem a bit disjointed but i think that obviously the messages on the wall leading to her going to find him all of that was like really well set up i'm glad they just acknowledged the elephant in the room of saying like you know in this modern day me hanging around with you is very strange you know and i'm glad that that, that was kind of a thing it wasn't just this like weird like thing overhanging the film which you're like this is strange does nobody like acknowledge it so again i think flanagan is good at sort of grounding these movies making it realistic making sure that those boxes are checked off in terms of like adding bits of dialogue there um and and like you said i think you know the true not gang do have like a good sense of like threat to them originally which is why i was sad that they sort of got rid of so many of them at the beginning but and especially because they seem to have different powers and stuff and they're like oh we have like a looker and you know the fact that like abra has you know different abilities and there's the uh like I said snake bites uh where she can Andy. Uh, Andy, where she can influence people and stuff like that. So it would have been nice to maybe see a bit more variation of like, how does that work, etc. But regardless, I think, you know, the visuals of all of that, like when they first meet Andy, when she's at the cinema, all of that looks really fantastic. Um, the visual of Rose, like seeing like the sky just in front of her, like a kind of like tapestry almost, just like scrolling in front of her, you know, so floating through the sky again in any other film, you could be like, this is really goofy. This is really silly. But I think, again, Flanagan really just adds like a, you know, again, it's almost, I don't know if like Doc, Dr. Strange has influenced stuff like this in terms of, again, another horror director there with Scott Derrickson, I think, who did that originally. But it does seem that now, again, these horror films and fantasy stuff start to overlap in which you can have more creative visuals, which like James Wan and stuff has, has also done. So I think that that stuff worked really well as well. There was a scene, I was watching Midnight Mass and, and a lot of scenes in Midnight Mass reminded me of, of, of Dr. Sleep. Um, yeah, he just has a way with um, his cinematography. It's it's very beautiful and kind of enticing. Um, yep. Yeah, he's great. I can't wait to see what he does next because he needs to do a film. <laughs> no more TV. <laughs> Okay, take those cassettes, rewind them and play them again because it's time for VHS Corner. So this week we'll be having a look at uh, a lot of the behind the scenes and also a lot of uh, fun facts to do with Doctor Sleep. And there'll obviously be a little bit of crossover into, say, Doctor Sleep the novel as well as Doctor Sleep the film. But starting with the film, let's talk about uh, Mike Flanagan and a lot of work that he does to the Overlook Hotel because... He goes into painstaking detail to make sure that sets are recreated perfectly. 
even to the point of acquiring the blueprints from Stanley Kubrick's estate to make sure that he has the entire breakdown of the Overlook Hotel perfectly. Dr. John Dalton, uh, his room, in which Danny is interviewed for the orderly position, is identical to Stuart Ullman's office, where Jack Torrance was interviewed for the caretaker job in The Shining. Uh, right down to the paint colour and the little the little American flag on the right side of the desk. Most elements from The Shining were recreated with a lot of duplicate sets and lookalike actors, though free shots were reused. The aerial shot of the water and the island, and the two shots after it of the car driving on the mountain road. The shots themselves were degrained, recoloured as day for night, and had snow digitally added. So there's a lot there where a lot of people would just use a lot of clips as crutches. Not doing that at all, and even the recasting we've already praised. Let's now have a look at the actual reason for uh, Doctor Sleep uh, existing in the first place. Because the reason that Stephen King wrote the novel specifically was because he kept getting act- asked at book signings what happened to Danny after The Shining. Um, and he would just, he would basically just say, um, oh, he probably would have found uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, but he kept asking himself this question. And when more and more people kept repeating the question, uh, he jokingly replied that Danny eventually married uh, Charlene McGee, the girl from Firestarter. Uh, However, after he started thinking about it seriously and how old Danny was and what happened to Wendy and decided the finances with a sequel, uh, but it was a tall order. Obviously, this this then comes on to the conception of the film itself because I think it's safe to say, and Niall already mentioned this, Uh, The idea of a film sequel to The Shining, specifically the film Shining, was always going to be a tall order with Stephen King himself, uh, given his feelings on the end result. Uh, Specifically, it took a lot of negotiation uh, to make it happen uh, and basically had to convince him that uh, people did just prefer the film to the miniseries, which Stephen King found as a more faithful adaptation of his work. According to Ewan McGregor, however, uh, the biggest challenge was to make a sequel that would satisfy both groups of fans, so fans of both the film, uh, the the 1980 film and the miniseries. Specifically, uh, as King himself did say that he liked the sequel, as did many purists uh, of Kubrick's work. So Flanagan basically saw that as like a win. Fun fact, though, um, when Stephen King was writing Doctor Sleep, he had to be reminded of various things that actually happened in The Shining uh, just to make sure that he continued things in the right continuity. So he had forgotten a lot, which, given some of his habits while writing, makes complete sense. Although most of his stories exist in a shared universe, so The Shining's Dick uh, Halloran appears briefly in It, for example, uh, it's one of only a few sequels that he's actually ever written. The final thing I want to talk about is uh, something that is fond, uh, close to everyone's heart, which is cats. Uh, Specifically, the cat that appears in the care home. So the name of that cat that enters the room of the patient who are next to die in the hospice. The name of the cat is Azzy, which is sought for Azriel, who is the angel of death. Uh, It's based on uh, a tabby cat called Oscar, who resides at Steer House Nursing and Rehabilitation Centre in Rhode Island. 
Oscar appears able to predict the impending death of terminally ill patients. He will sit or sleep by their beds for a few hours before they die. Since the publication of an article featuring Oscar in a New England medical journal in 2007, Oscar has been present for over 100 patient deaths. In Sadly, however, in 2013, Oscar suffered an allergic reaction and died for a few seconds before he was revived by vets. Um, in the film, Azzy is portrayed by Bonkers, a cat that belongs to the Newton brothers, the film's composers. So I thought uh, talking about the, uh, the cat Bonkers was a nice way to wrap up the facts about this, frankly, Bonkers at time film. I think a cat always um, makes a film better, and it's a very cute cat. Azzy is yeah. a very cute cat. I'm a big fan of the Inside Lewin Davis cat, which is just, you know, giving Oscar Isaac jip throughout the throughout the movie that's always a fun yeah. one um but yeah and it's it's funny as well how many things recently you know I, I suppose often creatives are referencing like mythology and stuff like that so especially again where i was watching like sandman a few weeks ago and things like that so hearing him like named after like an angel and stuff like that it's uh it's quite interesting uh any other takeaways there uh, tessa to some of the facts we had no i'm just focusing on the cat now <laughs> yeah yeah, no, but talk. yeah <laughs> another it is all again though about how flanagan his his real love i think that's what comes through and that's why everyone loves watching his things because it's a real sense of love and admiration for for what he's doing and he'll take that time to recreate the sets as they were um you know the snow and everything and and it really does look like that office scene it looks exactly the same as the shining and i think that's a real um a real talent that he can do that um take the time to do that yeah i, I really appreciate that he does that and lots of other film and tv fans do too yeah i think it's that and it's that attention to detail which comes throughout everything isn't it as we've already mentioned even the cat you know like focusing on that cat is like you know your attention's drawn to it it's not just that the cat is just coincidentally there each each time or they don't make a massive deal about it it's not like the cat has like weird eyes or anything like that you know it's just the fact that it's like played as this kind of like natural moment and it's like is the cat got supernatural powers it's up to you you know but that's just he draws enough attention to it but doesn't focus on it too heavily that it is just this kind of like natural presence which is the same then as things like the hotel and the playing of music or the other references to the shining in which again you don't feel like you're just kind of like recreating the film um or it doesn't feel feel like it's almost too faithful it doesn't feel like you've just walked into kind of like one of those museums in which they've recreated the set it kind of feels like a real lived in place as well mm. yeah and i feel like it must have taken ages to do all that to, to recreate it like that to have the patience and uh, yeah i think it's amazing and I'm, I'm always, as we've said before, I'm always, I'd much rather a recast of someone who looks similar, acts in the same way, um, watches that previous actor than, you know, digitally de-age. I, 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 don't, I don't like that. I'm not a fan of that. It's a bit too uncanny valley, isn't it? So, right. So let's now go on to then wrapping up this conversation about its legacy uh, to the movie vault so for anyone new to the podcast we like to think of this as a time capsule of memorable movies for someone to dig up in the future wish i didn't say that because now all i'm thinking about is the poor baseball kid <laughs> but um, <laughs> so should dr sleep from 2019 gain the honor of a place in our movie vault and be remembered for all time 
as we're getting towards the end of the year and uh, whether this helps Tessa as well in terms of knowing the sort of boundaries that we go by this year, the films that we've talked about and they've gone in. So we've discussed Seven, Rush Hour, Demolition Man, The Running Man, Battle Royale, Thunderbirds, The Night Before Christmas, which is a Netflix original, not night, <laughs> Nightmare Before Christmas, uh, 21 Jump Street, The Muppets from 2011, Brain Dead, Full Monty, Showgirls, Brave Little Toaster, Neon Demon, and Opening Night of those films. Into the Movie Vault has gone seven. Demolition Man, which is controversial, but I know Tessa will back me up on this because I think she's a fan yeah, from what I've seen online. <laughs> that deserves to be in the vault. <laughs> Battle Royale, uh, 21 and 22 Jump Street actually went in. The Muppets, uh, The Full Monty, and Opening Night on last episode went in. Any initial thoughts, Tessa, on what Doctor Sleep? We mentioned before that The Shining deserves to go in. Mm -hmm. Niall thinks that Doctor Sleep stands up and it's, it's a good sequel and it should enter the vault. What do you think? Well, I, I think it's one of the, the greatest sequels of all time. So I think it deserves a place in the vault. High praise. <laughs> Craig, what do you think? Um, I'll be honest, I'm highly ambivalent. I don't think I can give a truly objective opinion on this based on the things I've talked about. I think there's a lot, I think there's a lot that I credit. I think there's a lot that um like there are areas where I think it sort of drops uh sort of drops the ball. And I think the thing, unfortunately, with a sequel will always be to what extent does it stand up outside the original? And I think that while there's definitely a lot of setup that that it does, uh, I think it I think there are times in which it relies too much on its connection to The Shining um, to push that through. So um, I'm sort of a neutral vote on this because I can understand the position going either way. But also I acknowledge the fact that my gut instinct would say no, but how much of that is just I am actually I actually feel like I have like scars from this film um, in ways that I just don't want to think about it again. Um, that's like that's like the fairest opinion. Like I say, I don't I don't think it's a I don't think it's a bad film by any stretch. Is it a film that for the criteria that I would choose to put in? I'm unsure. And yeah, how much of that is just because the baseball scene did did get to me too much. So basically, it's like Danny and putting things away in a vault so you never have to see them again. <laughs> no, but the problem is to be, exactly, to be yeah. remembered for all time. That's the issue, right? If I put it's it a different in the, kind of vault. If I put it in the vault, I feel like the screams of the dying kid are just going to echo even louder. And I think they are. I think they are going to get to me in my sleep because so far, like my my dreams are like the only place that I can escape it. I feel like that goes out the window at the point where I do put it in this vault at the bottom of a well. Like think of the sonosphere, like amplification those screams get. Well, we're well good movies, so it doesn't help there either. So like either way, it's going in a vault or a well or somewhere. I, I think I was similar in the sense of like, yeah, I, I could be swayed on this. I wasn't kind of like sometimes I'll come in and I'll be like, oh, yeah, I can't see that going in. It's not good enough film. Um, or maybe sometimes I'll be like, yeah, it's really famous or people really love it. But then that almost be th makes me think, is it famous enough or, you know, does it do enough as we've discussed recently with things like uh, All About Eve as well? I think that was uh, one which I didn't mention, which we talked about but didn't make into the movie vault so i think that the discussion we had i think has helped to influence that one 
we talked a lot about people's reactions to this. And as you said, Tessa, you know people who are like fans of the book who don't like it or fans of the book who do like it. We, there's been people who have been mentioned who like the film and don't like, uh, sorry, like The Shining and don't like this on that basis. Um, but we've had two people uh, in the case of Tessa Nal who like the original, like this as a, as a sequel to that. And I think that entire reaction is, you know, quite interesting in itself, that it's quite divisive. But I think ultimately it is still true that it is still a very good sequel is, you know, re- regardless, it isn't a bad film, as Craig said. And I think that as a sequel, it does all the things that it needs to do in terms of developing the characters and kind of like referring back to the previous film, whether that's done in like the best way, you know, is kind of depends on whether you're a big fan of The Shining or not, as we've mentioned. Um, and even though it could be seen as it derails the third act of the film, I still do think the, you know, the first and second act is so good that it is worth acknowledging that you know, and especially as it being a continuation to The Shining, which is already in the movie vault and everything we've said in terms of like being so faithful to the original. Um, I think the legacy of it, you know, it, it is important because, again, like de-aging, not doing de-aging, that's a great thing to also, you know, reward in a way. So I I think that I think it would deserve its place in, in the movie vault. And I think that, yeah, while for me, it's not like an amazing, amazing film. I think that everything they wants to do, it does ultimately succeed at. Um, and I think, yeah, adding that note, Tessa, of it being a sequel especially is is quite relevant as well. One thing I do want to uh, do add, which I think does go in favour of, of going in, is that we don't really have many examples of sequels who are taken on by a completely different creative team that actually still stand up quite well. Because, like, obviously, with with Kubrick, you know, being dead, um, there was no way that he could have a direct influence over this film. Uh, so it is actually impressive the degree to which there is the blend of Flanagan's own vision, but also just keeping alive aspects of Kubrick's work that made it so memorable. So that probably deserves, like, an element of praise on top of it. But I still have P- I still have PTSD. God damn it! But like, well, we're gonna lock it away. You never have to watch it again. You say you say that. I'm pretty sure David at some point in the future is gonna do an absolute dickhead move. Be like, let's rewatch everything we've put in the vaults for like a special char for like a special charity stream or something. You should put it in your own special vault of films you never want to think about again. Right. Well, yeah, I think, like I said, this, you know, it, and it's a good point. It's, uh, you know, even I mentioned Blade Runner again, that's, you know, often mentioned as one which has a successful sequel, but it is a part of that, you know, big time jump of like original film, like 40 years ago, and then a sequel like 40, 50 years later. And there's a lot of films like that. And a lot of them are unsuccessful. So again, this is, you know, quite a good achievement that it, it pulls that off. So, well, into the movie vault then goes Dr. Sleep from 2019. Do you agree? Might be a controversial one, depending on whether you're a fan of the book, the film, Stephen King, etc., etc., etc. Let us know on social media. But now we go to our final part of the episode and this Halloween special. It's our end game. It's so annoying. 
My friends, my friends, the veil is now at its thinnest. I can truly hear the voices of the dead. Now it is time to appease our friends beyond the grave with a game of knowledge and wisdom. Beware, my worthy friends, for those who answer incorrectly to the tyrant of trivia, Craig MacDonald, will meet a terrible fate. Okay, endgame time. So it's interesting that David talked about various films that have like massive year jumps between uh, the original and the sequel, because this game is called Sequel to the Sequel Game. Basically... Uh, for those who are unaware, the year gap insofar as release of The Shining and Doctor Sleep was 39 years. And there are lots of films that have uh, a significant jump like that. So I thought it'd be fun if I got a couple of them and got you to guess how many years there are between the first and, well, the the prior and the current sequel. So basically, like the most recent film in like a in like a link and the one that preceded it so what i'll do is i'll tell you the two films and then i'll want you to dm me on zoom how many years you think it's been and essentially the person who is closest gets the point is everyone clear on the rules right that question is mainly for david because it's usually david who asked me a clarification on the rule <laughs> this time i made sure i listened i was like right listen now because i'm usually thinking about Something it's else. <laughs> funny how many times that your your issues in life could be solved by just listen to what Craig is saying. <laughs> but what are we playing for? As usual, we'll uh, we'll be deciding the film that is discussed in next episode by the results of this game. So all three of us have a film suggestion, and all three of us are now going to give hints as to what our film could possibly be. And then the winner will choose between those three films as to which film is discussed. So, David, tell us a little bit about your film. So, my film relates in the sense of, obviously, before we've had the negativity of things like fame, you know, like brought up a lot in succession of the different films we brought up there, or like crazy tangents, like things like cannibalism and that kind of stuff. So... Here, obviously, a negative is like, you know, the threat to children. And the film I'm talking about is that somebody wants to kill a child, but thankfully that child doesn't die. So pros there. <laughs> but yeah, it's a film in which it's a very famous uh, instance in which somebody wants to like get revenge and kill a child. Uh, the film is from 1959 and it mainly relates also in the name. And I just think it would be very relevant to talk about for the year in which uh, we would be discussing it. So 1959 is my suggestion. Okay, so we've got David attempt at child murder being unsuccessful from 1959. Tessa, tell us a little bit about your film and how it connects. So um, I wanted to choose another film of Rebecca Ferguson because I think she's a great actor. However, she ha actually hasn't been in that many films and a lot of them are quite um, sort of dark horror um and quite recent um so then i was thinking about other actors in the film um so i thought oh well i'll, I'll think about um ewan mcgregor um he's been in lots of great films and this is a film from 1997 and i feel like this film isn't really discussed enough um it's a great film uh and i don't want to say any more to ruin it but i've gone with an actor from doctor's 
Okay. So we've got the Ewan McGregor film from 1997. And finally, you have my film. So obviously, I think it is safe to say that a lot of my experience with the episode this week has been tarnished by, you know, the screams of a child. So as what I usually do when I feel like we need a significant jump away, uh, I will consult the internet. And I came across a list, which was the top 10 silly, fun, kid-friendly movies. And... I've chosen uh, the thumbnail from this video, but I do think it actually relates because we've obviously been talking about somebody dealing with, uh, you know, some with inner demons and ghosts from his past. This is a film in which the main character literally has to deal with um, aspects uh, of his personality that overtake him from time to time that he himself has created, but it's a very kid-friendly uh, it's a very kid-friendly concept of like a very traditional horror uh, horror trope. Um, so I think that it would be a fantastic way of transitioning ourselves from sort of like the dark existential horror that we've had for this Halloween episode and start transitioning ourselves towards Christmas, even though this isn't a Christmas film. Uh, I feel like it creates enough like uh, warm, fuzzy feelings that I think is a good uh, fit for our November episodes. So those are the three films that we can be expecting in the next episode, potentially. Which one will be chosen? Only that will be decided at the end of this endgame. So we need to play it. Are our contestants ready? Yes. Fantastic. So for our first set of films, we have... You'll have to bear with me on this. We have... (laughs) Coming to America, and its sequel, Coming to America. Mm. So how many years separates those two films? Reminder to the listeners at home, it will be whoever has sent me the answer which is closest to the correct answer. Okay, and I think it is safe to say there is definitely a gulf in these answers. Uh, Tessa, (laughs) you you responded first. Uh, How many years do you think it is? I put nine years. Nine years. Uh, David, what did you go for? 38. 38 years. (laughs) So just to check, are these films that either of you are familiar with? Um, I'm familiar with the first one. Okay, so not the the sequel? No. Okay. Yeah, I'm familiar with both. I know that the sequel was like an Amazon original, but I thought, yeah, the original was like 80s or something, but maybe I'm wrong. No, I think you are right. I'm probably completely wrong. (laughs) (laughs) So the correct answer that I'm looking for... Is 33 years. Oh, okay. Well done, David. David gets the point. (laughs) I was just like, I know Eddie Murphy was more popular at that time, so... Yeah, I didn't realise there was a recent sequel. (laughs) Yeah, and I think it brought back um, his his father, which is then um, James Earl Jones, which is fun as well. Okay, so the next films. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Going into Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Okay, so David, uh, you're a big fan of the Indiana Jones franchise. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I know when Kingdom of the Crystal Skull was released, um, but I wasn't too sure, like certain of the year of uh, Last Crusade. So I've gone for 22 years. And Tessa, you... was close. <laughs> what did you go for? 29 years. So you've got, you've both gone for the same time frame, which I don't... Uh, so 
um, presumably means it's going to be around then, so it's not going to be a ludicrous answer. The correct answer is 19 years. Ooh. Wow. Yeah, is it like 2007, 2008, I think, is Kingdom of the Crystal Skull? Or was it... I was thinking 2007, I was sure. But then I was thinking, oh, actually, it might be, 2000, might be 2008. Well, congratulations, David. Thank you. But yeah, it's going too well at the moment. Okay. The next set of films. I think we'll go to Pixar for this one. So we've got The Incredibles going into The Incredibles 2. Ooh. Tessa, you answered first. What was your guess? Well, I don't think I've seen The Incredibles 2, but I think it's about 12 years. Okay, and David? I went 14 years, but then once Tessa said 12, I'm like, this sounds familiar, actually. In terms of, <laughs> I don't know whether when they were advertising, whether they were saying the time difference. Well, in, excitingly, uh, I'm happy to report that one of you is exactly correct. Oh. It's probably you, David. <laughs> <laughs> the answer I was looking for... <laughs> Is 14 years. Oh, my God. <laughs> I I was pretty sure it was 2004 for Incredibles. So then I was like, when? Because obviously that was a time in which it was like Finding Dory and everything. So I was like, which year was this sequel in? But yeah, good guess, Tessa. Still everything to play for at this point. Are we ready for the next set of films? And this one, I think, be ambitious. Because we have Bambi and Bambi 2. Oh, God. Direct-to-DVD territory. I mean, it is a sequel. I have seen Bambi 2 either. I don't think anyone has. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, no one has seen it. I mean, fun fact about Bambi 2, uh, the voice of Bambi's dad is Patrick Stewart. Wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> no, I want to see it. Okay, David. 67 years. And Tessa? I bet 60 years. Okay, so annoyingly, and this is this is going to be heartbreaking, uh, <laughs> one of you is out by four years, the other person is out by three years. Oh, oh it's close. It's very close. So the question is, is it 63 years or 64 years? Oh, God. The answer <laughs> is 64. <laughs> wow. So that's point to David. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Next up, we've got Top Gun to Top Gun Maverick. Oh, this one. I just got, I've got to learn how to count now. <laughs> That's what I was thinking of doing this. I was like, I'm not good at math, so this is a tricky <laughs> game. Okay, interesting. Uh, we'll go to David again first. Oh, I've missed out a bloody decade. <laughs> Can I change my answer? <laughs> no, no, you can't. <laughs> Damn it. I wanted to put, I should have put 33 I'm, years, I'm, but I've put 23. Uh, I'm worried I missed out. <laughs> no, you definitely haven't. I, uh, yeah. Like, well, no, 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 I so put da- 23 so years. David, you put 23. Uh, Tessa? Oh, maybe. I put 26. <laughs> oh, okay. We both made the same mistake. I yeah. So <laughs> I'm going to tell you now, you have both missed out a decade. It's yeah. just a case of saying, this is the most 80s film ever, like the original. We've both like, right. like yeah, it was like the 90s. Okay. So uh, do you want to have a gentleman's, uh, a metaphorical gentleman's agreement where you both add on a decade to your answers? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm happy. Yeah. Just add in 10. Cool. In that case, it. one of you is exactly correct. Oh, okay. Well. And the answer I'm looking for is 30... Six. <laughs> yes. Hey. 
Wait. That was one which I was like, uh, I don't know which year of the 80s it was. So, so what's... So would someone like to explain how you made the mathematical error? We've just lost a decade. Yeah, it must have just come because it was 2022. You're like, oh, yeah. Just, just, <laughs> no, because so, so, yeah. uh, by your uh, logic, it came out in 1999, David. <laughs> <laughs> just take away the 20 from top of it and that makes, yeah. <laughs> must just be our shine. It's messed up some way. Well, let's see if this is the start of the comeback. So the next one I'm looking for is... Mary Poppins into Mary Poppins Returns. Oh, another long one that would be. Yeah, how long, how many years did it take her to return? And when did Walt Disney die? I'm trying not to be a decade out again. (laughs) (laughs) So, annoyingly again, it's a case of one of you is out by two years, the other one's out by three years. Okay, right. (laughs) So, uh, David... I've gone for 56 years. And Tessa? 51 years. Oh. So the question is, what is the answer I'm looking for? I'm looking for 54. So that is another another point to David. David, you're running away with this. Um, No, well, again, that one I was like, I can remember Mary Poppins Returns coming out and i didn't see it in the cinema but i remember somebody talking about it and saying like oh i like this song and i was like well if i, I talk to them about it it must have been like yeah 2019 it, it came out i don't think we're old enough to have seen it in the cinema <laughs> <laughs> well mary poppins oh no returns. i meant the sequel yeah see the sequel i meant to, but i remember <laughs> somebody talking about mary poppins returns but then i know that mary poppins was obviously made before Walt yes. disney died because he had so much involvement and i know he died around the time of jungle book so I was yeah like which is to... that's 1977 ish yeah so i knew it was like um, 16, so, so yeah so i can actually know this one because mary poppins returns is 2018 uh which means that mary poppins is 1964 okay anyway our next films we've got sin city going into sin city a dame to kill for so many sequels i haven't seen I thought you were just going to leave it there then. Like, so many sequels. I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, yeah, it, it's so many sequels for things that I think most people deem as sacred. So it's like either like, oh, I really enjoyed this. I'm going to go. Or you just go, that's obviously going to be shit. So why would I do it? Yeah, again, I think I'm pretty sure on like roundabout when the first one came out. But the second one, I'm like, Ugh. Oh, sorry. You've both answered. Um, yeah. Okay. Tessa, what, what did you go for? <laughs> 12 years. And David? I go for eight. So the correct answer that I'm looking for is nine. Oh, (laughs) that was lucky. (laughs) What happens if it's like 10 and one of us goes like nine and 11? I'll give you both a point. Simple as. (laughs) Like, I'm not a big fan of people who are like, congratulations, you made the requirements to get this achievement. But for logistical bullshit, we're not going to give you the achievement uh my views on debating aside uh our next film we've already mentioned this a couple of times on the show but it's blade runner going into blade runner 49 or 2049 i should be clear don't be thrown by the name of the film i'm gonna give that hint do not be thrown by the year 2049 (laughs) (laughs) well we haven't reached that year yet we'll try not to be a year out that is the scary thing, isn't it? When like apocalypse films, when you reach that year and you're like, oh God. Okay, so Tessa, you answered first. Are you quite confident on this one? 
Yes, we showed Blade Runner at our first film festival. Ah, fantastic. So how many years? 35. And David? 41. David fell, less confident David fell for the trap. It's 35 years. <laughs> yeah. Oh, That's what I actually knew, though. When was Blade Runner out? Do you remember the original? 1982. Ah, see, that was the thing. I was like, oh, it's another 80s one. And then I was like, for some reason in my mind, I thought like, oh, no, I, th- I think I always get this wrong. The Blade Runner is like late 70s. So I we thought it was like 77. Our first, our first film festival was only films from 1982. So ah. I'm pretty familiar with that being 1982. Yeah, yeah. We and need then more it's, 1982 to sequels. <laughs> and then it's just a case of uh, knowing that Blade Runner came out in 2017, then is the math? Yes. Yeah, that's what... All right, fantastic. And now we come to our final set of films. Are we ready? Mm-hmm. Tron into Tron Legacy. Ooh. Oh, gosh. <laughs> another sequel i haven't seen i think i've lost anyway so just going okay so tessa i've gone for 40 years okay david i went for 28 okay um are either of you confident in your answers i think i would have been closer to you originally but then it was like my film canon brain was like well i recall that tron came out came out around 1982 as well i think yeah, that's what I thought. Okay, well, so, but then yeah, Tron. Interestingly, Legacy, one of really you good. is spot on. Oh. So the correct answer that I'm looking for is 28 years. Wow. Wow. Well <laughs> I kind of just threw the end. I was like, I know it's near 30, but I was like, is it like 2009? Legacy was out to 2010, but I almost went something like the 60s. But then I was like late 60s. I was like, wait, no, Walt Disney wouldn't have been near the time he was around and then i remember obviously it built up to the pixar thing they were like oh once they did tron then pixar came around and so i was like it must be near the 80s 90s so that was a close one <laughs> well that brings us to the end of the game so in the end uh after a respectable duel the winner that we have is david congratulations yay finally oh. i won <laughs> yeah i think it is probably long i don't think you've won any this year no yeah and like some respectable performances recently, but also some dismal ones. Oh, yeah. I mean, the fact that you lost one of them by 45 points is is not a great yeah. luck. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you, Tessa. I don't mind losing. <laughs> to be fair, the ones that you got right, you the ones you got right, you did get spot on. Yeah. Granted, one of them was the allowing you to add in the decade that you both missed out. But I, I still think like the basic math is there. But we lost a decade. Yep, we lost a decade. But the question is, what decade of film are we discussing next episode? So, David, as the winner, you have the opportunity to choose. Do you want to go and do what many of our uh, many of our winners have done and go <laughs> for um, your opponent's film? Do you want to go with the Neutral Observer's film, which is mine? Or do you want to go with your film? Yeah, and again, it's a decade thing. Do I go for the 90s, the noughties, or the late 50s? I'm pro- I'm most intrigued by Tessa's just for, I don't know why, the Ewan McGregor-like element. Because again, I'm like, which film would that be? Craig's, I'm just like, that just sounds like pure chaos. So I'm intrigued what it is from that point of view, but I'm not sure I want to go down that road at this time of year. But I also think mine would be quite fitting, so it's tricky. Uh, I think I might just go for mine, just because this would be again just because of the year we're discussing this it's just a good chance to talk about something from this studio 
and the link is just quite relevant i guess it's just a very straightforward link which i didn't say as much <laughs> yeah so the film that i have gone for is purely based on like doctor sleep whereas i've gone for another sleeping character which is sleeping beauty and the character i was referring to in terms of child murder was obviously maleficent who is well known for wanting to murder a child for not being invited to a party <laughs> um and they sort of reverse the spell but it's 100 years of disney this year so i thought it was a good chance to talk about that studio we've never actually talked about a 2d disney film apart from like mulan when talked in, talking about the live action one um and i thought it'd just be a fun time to talk about something from the past like that and especially such a different vibe it's you know like pure like disney 2d art style that kind of like you know disney princess stuff is very different to what we've been talking about recently so that's what i've gone for okay so we are discussing sleeping beauty um obviously this would be the point where we would try and pander for david to research where it is you could watch this film but i'm not going to patronize anywhere and say like gee david where can we watch this film if we want to watch along i think it's obvious where it is that we can find disney's sleeping beauty if we want to watch along at home but just for the sake of the format of this episode david uh i'm assuming we can see this film on disney plus yes you can what um, a I'll shock a bit. what an absolute <laughs> shock but seriously, are there other places if people don't want to support the mouse? <laughs> uh, well, I guess you're supporting the mouse unless you're like sailing the seven seas regardless. So you can still get it on places like Apple TV. You can buy it on Amazon, YouTube, Rakuten, which to be clear, probably still goes to Disney because you are purchasing that film. Um, or if you do have a DVD or Blu-ray copy, I suppose you're not supporting the mouse now <laughs> because you would have bought it maybe a while ago. But yeah, that's uh, that's all the places you can find it. Cool. Right. Well, uh, thank you for joining us this week, Tessa. It's been an uh, absolute privilege to have you on. A very fun Halloween episode talking about all things like spooky with Dr. Sleep, but something a bit more complex and psychological as well. Uh, we hope you've uh, enjoyed your time. Uh, is there anything you want to shout out? Obviously, like we were saying before, uh, Forbidden Worlds Festival for next year. Um, obviously, the time of this will be coming out. You would have just had your uh, Halloween one come out. But uh, but anything else you want to shout out? Where can people find you on socials, etc.? Yes, yeah, so we'll be coming back. Um, Forbidden Worlds Film Festival will be back in May 2024 for our main fest. So if you sign up to our newsletter on our website, forbiddenworldsfilmfestival.co.uk, uh, I'm the Tessa Cat. No, I'm the Tessa Cat on Instagram and Tessa Cat on Twitter. And I'm on Letterboxd too as Tessa Cat. Thank you for having me. <laughs> no, absolute pleasure. It's been a very fun episode, been great. Uh, yeah, lots of trivia and sort of background stuff about The Shining with Niall as well. So thank you to Niall for coming on as well. I believe you can catch him on Twitter or X, whichever it's called these days, at Niall the Glynn. And you can also catch him on the Monday Lorians, which is a Star Wars podcast, which is hopefully coming back now that the strikes are over. I had a bit of a hiatus uh, in terms of like covering that show with Ahsoka, etc. So you can catch him over on that. And uh, yeah. Uh, it's been yeah really fun talking about this film Doctor Sleep into the movie vault as well with The Shining and uh, yeah hopefully Tessa you can join us again in the future talking about another crazy cult movie or something like that maybe ones that like pop <laughs> up in the festival or, Do or if there's Doctor any other Sleep genres too. you <laughs> yeah <laughs> electric boogaloo <laughs> um, but yeah anything lastly from yourself Craig I really hope I can sleep after this 
<laughs> Craig touches a, a spinning wheel and is just in sleep until the next episode. I hope everyone has had a is going to have a very happy Halloween. Uh, it's been a spectacular time talking about Doctor Sleep, and uh, yeah, we'll see you on the next one. Thank you again, Tessa. Thanks. Catch you again soon. Bye. 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 Keep up with the latest episodes of Well Good Movies. You can listen to us on all your usual podcast outlets, including Apple, Google, Spotify, YouTube, and more. Don't forget to follow us, subscribe, and rate us where you can to keep our podcast growing. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Well Good Movies to keep up with the latest news and highlights from all our episodes, as well as tell us what movies you want to be discussed in the future. So what are you waiting for? Go check out the film we'll be discussing in next time's episode. Yeah, carry the chunk. Shout out. <laughs>